Welcome to the Marvel Events Timeline, the podcast that takes you on a journey through Timely, Atlas, and Marvel Comics, one event at a time. Here are your hosts, Travis Bowe and Brian Lockhart. Hey, Brian. Yeah, Travis? I know it's Christmas morning and everything, and I hope you can... It's okay that you're away from your family here for a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, everybody's still asleep, thankfully. Okay, good. Yeah, because, you know, honestly, I had the dickens of a time uh, sleeping last night. I swear to goodness, I felt like three spirits came and visited me to tell me I better change my life. <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to get you something for Christmas, so, you know, I got you I got you a, a Christmas issue of, uh, of X-Men. Oh, you do know I'm currently reading all the back issues of, of X-Men, so you knew exactly what I wanted for Christmas. That's right. Well, thank you, sir, and perhaps I might have a little something for you. All right. Well, why don't I tell you about Uncanny X-Men number 143? Sounds great. I'm all ears. All right. So this is uh, Uncanny X-Men number 143 from March 10th of 1981. Which doesn't sound like a Christmas issue, but if you look at the cover of this mag of this issue, it says like "Merry Christmas, X Men," and there's uh, Kitty Pride is on the cover with a what looks like an alien stalking up behind her. There's a Christmas tree with presents like off next to the the room that they're in, and it says, "Guess what just came down the chimney." So. For all intents and purposes, this is a Christmas issue of the X-Men that came out in March, <laughs> um, <laughs> which means that, that they were working on this issue if they were like, you know, if you work like three months in advance, which I think is pretty common. Um, they were working on it around December, so I guess that makes sense. <laughs> um, but to, I guess to put it in context with like what else was going on in the X-Men at the time... Like the the Dark Phoenix saga had just ended. Uh, Jean Grey, you know, had had died. Um, uh, Scott Summers had left the X Men, and then they introduced Kitty Pride in in issue one thirty nine. So just a couple issues prior to this one, and then there was the whole Days of Future Past uh, two parter that is one forty one and one forty two, um, and then this issue comes out. So if you've read Days of Future Past, you know it's it's set in an alternate future and like everyone dies, you know, and then they just reset everything with with you know status quo back to this issue because that was a like a story from the future, you know. So do you think that they had this in a drawer and they were like um just I ab- absolutely do. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um so when I decided to do uh, this this issue, it's because when I think of X Men and and Christmas, or even when I think of like Marvel Comics and Christmas, this cover just pops in my head because I've always associated this one with obviously with Christmas because um, of that Christmas tree and like with it the tagline saying "Guess what just came down the chimney." Um, so I had I had never read this story before. Uh, but I knew that I, I wanted to talk about this issue um, for this uh, Christmas episode, and it, this this issue is not what I expected it to be. Um, have you ever read this one? I have. I have. Okay. 
you know, I like to be, I like re-gifted stuff. I like to, I like to get <laughs> stuff twice. Okay. Well, sorry, I've got you something you already, you already uh, had, but uh, going into it, I thought this was uh, a brood alien on the cover, and I have always thought that. So I just thought this was um, an, an X Men versus the Brood kind of story, and I always kind of associated it with Alien, you know, the movie Alien, just because the creature on the cover looks similar enough to the Alien, uh, the Xenomorph. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, it definitely looks like. The Brood, which was based on aliens, I think, anyways. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's it's issue 143. Uh, Terry Austin did the cover. Uh, the story is written by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. As they're, they're credited as writer, co-plotters, and penciler. So I think they both kind of worked on the story together. It opens with, like, Storm, and she's being attacked by what just look like a bunch of gremlins to me they're like flying around they're they're it's like a like i said like a swarm she manages to fight them off they're they're coming out of this it's called a cairn which i had to look up it's like scottish gaelic word for a pile of stones that can have many different uses. I think in this instance, is it's used as a uh, it's like a gateway between their dimension and Earth, uh, and and these, these creatures that are swarming out of it are called the Ingari. Ingari. It says uh, the Ingari, uh, the elder gods of legend, the ultimate evil. So they're just a bunch of little demon creatures. And they're trying to pull Storm down into the cairn. And, of course, that sets off her claustrophobia. And she uh, fights them off with, like, one big blast and destroys the cairn. And seemingly uh, sends the the monsters like, back to hell or wherever they're from. And then uh, it just kind of slowly says that, you know, months pass. Uh, the X-Men forgot about this battle. And, you know... Time heals all wounds, that sort of thing. And then slowly, like, you can see the seasons changing. And then this one little demon, like, crawls out of the hole. And it says that Professor Xavier believed that destroying the cairn would, would forever seal this gateway between the Ingari dimension and Earth. He was wrong. <laughs> so then we change to, uh, we, we meet Doug and Ellie. And they're having a very Christmas vacation style trek into the forest to, to find that, that most special of holiday items, the Christmas tree. Hopefully they don't cut down a cell phone tower. <laughs> well, they did. at least they did bring a saw. So <laughs> Already one ahead of Clark Griswold. <laughs> um, this, uh, this, there's one panel, it's like they're... They're talking about getting this tiny little tree for their apartment. You know, we'll save the big tree for our, our first house. And then they start getting sweet on each other. And that's when they hear something rustling in the trees. And seemingly both of them are, are killed by this uh, this little demon that, that came out of the cave in the, in the earth. You know, uh, the way they draw Doug, he looks a lot like Sean Cassidy. He does. Yeah, he looks kind of sinister. Yeah, she even says that I think I think you're sweet, and he says I think very naughty thoughts. So, <laughs> yeah, naughty and nice right there in the woods. Yeah, it, it it's almost playing with the horror movie trope of like if you have sex you die, you know, <laughs> um, the old slasher movie type type trope. And here, I mean, this is as 
close to sex as I think uh, most X-Men issues get to, so is them. Right. It's uh, the days of the Comic Code Authority. That's right. Um, so yeah, so uh, they're both killed, and it just says that these, these victims are but the first of many. Then we transition to uh, the X-Mansion, and we get actually finally get to the title page of the issue, and it's got like the... The Ingari demon on the top of the page, and it says demon in, in some real hellish letters. And But on the bottom of the of the page, it's uh, Professor Xavier and Kitty and, and Angel's there for some reason. Um, I guess it, this is a Christmas issue, so it's fitting to have an angel. That Exactly. He's got to get up to the top of the tree somehow. <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, in the exposition, it does tell us that this was the night before Christmas, and uh, all through the house, the X-Men are stirring. So I guess this is uh, Christmas Eve, and Professor X is, is running Kitty through the like Blackbird ignition, ignition procedure. Uh, don't worry, this won't, this won't come back up. This is, this is just filler. <laughs> it's not foreshadowing anything at all. In the the hallway, we we see Logan and uh, Mariko, his his lady. Logan is introducing Mariko to Professor X. Uh, Cy- uh, not Cyclops. Uh, Colossus is there. Nightcrawler pops up with uh, some mistletoe, and you know, I guess once once a kiss from, or actually, I think he does uh, kiss uh, Mariko on the cheek. Yeah, he lands. And one. so that, yeah, yeah. And uh, Logan just swipes at uh, Nightcrawler full on with his claws, trying to kill him. So that's uh, as one would do at, as, at Christmas yeah, time yeah. when your buddy tries exactly. to kiss your best girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I see nothing wrong with this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Colossus goes into action, has to uh, meddle up so he can restrain Wolverine here, and uh, Professor X tells him to back off. So there's a, there's a little moment of cool down here, I guess. Kitty then picks up the mistletoe and goes, uh, climbs the stairs to get above Colossus and then says, Merry Christmas, sexy. <laughs> so I, I always knew that, that, uh, Kitty and, uh, Colossus has had a, you know, a relationship that builds through, through the, over the years and everything. I forgot that it started like when she was 13 here. It's like right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming he's, I don't know, 18, 19, 20. I, th- I think he's, you know, the, this is the problem with the X-Men I've always had is they all they always seem like they're 28 to 30, mm-hmm. but they're yeah. me- a lot of them are meant to be like 18 at best, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Not that it's saying it's all right. <laughs> right. But I, I do think that Colossus is supposed to be a lot younger, and I also do believe that she's the initiator and he's like you can tell like he's like what what <laughs> like yeah he totally yeah. catches he's like kitty you know <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's and she does say like i, I know this will like lighten the mood because she's you know there's it's a very tense moment with wolverine and and everything so she's trying to i, I guess just uh make the situation a little uh, lighter i suppose but she does definitely has a a crush on on uh colossus um, then uh, a storm shows up to say that the car is ready, and then seemingly I don't know who all gets in the the limo with Professor X because as far as I know, Logan and Mariko just 
they exit the scene. I don't know if they go with them. I can't imagine that they go in the car with Professor X, but I guess in theory, the, the car is loaded with Nightcrawler, Colossus, Storm, and and Professor X. Angel flies off. He says that he's going to go see his girlfriend, Candy Southern. Um, <laughs> what a name. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, uh, Kitty kind of realizes that she's all alone. She's got the house to herself, uh, which seems like a, a strange uh, decision on uh, Professor X's part to leave, you know, a 13-year-old in charge of the X-Mansion where nothing has ever, you know, gone bad. No one's ever just attacked the uh, X-Mansion. Right, right. Or, you know, the wet bandits are clearly on the loose right now. <laughs> yeah. So she decides that she kind of misses her parents. Uh, this is her first uh, Hanukkah away from her parents, so she's going to give them a call. And, of course, they there's no answer. Uh, but then the phone rings immediately, so she assumes it's her parents, but finds it's uh, it's Scott Summers on the phone. He's, he's calling in to just to check in, uh, wish everyone a, a Merry Christmas. Um, he has recently left the X-Men with... Uh, you know, because of the death of, of Jean Grey, he decided he needed to take some time. So he's now on some coastal town and tells Kitty to, to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. He'll call again later. Then he, like I said, is on the this coastal town. He's at the docks. He's, he's saying that he is uh, looking for a, a Lee Forrester, some, some captain of the, of the Arcadia, and is hoping to join his crew. So Lee Forrester pops up and says, I'm Lee Forrester, a Letty's, I think that's how you pronounce the name. Uh, some some form of like Lee is shortened from a uh, 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 And uh, Cyclops, you know, real, real uh, casually and coolly says, you're a girl. <laughs> so some of that nice uh, 1980s. You know, sexism. Yeah, but you know, they 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 draw you know quite as a quite attractive blonde. So you know, he, what, what he was <laughs> yeah. saying is, and what a girl, <laughs> <laughs> to you know, to really make it nineteen eighties worth, right? But uh, she tells him to come aboard. They'll they'll talk about uh, maybe him joining the crew. I suppose. Um. So then we cut back to the X Mansion, and Kitty is now like in her X Men fatigues. She decides she's gonna uh, run through a, like an exercise program. Um. Even though she doesn't like to exercise, she doesn't understand the the point of it because the X Men all have superpowers, and they should be uh, practicing and and honing their their abilities with their superpowers, not necessarily their their bodies. Um, she doesn't see the point in it. And right away kind of biffs it on the uh, parallel bars and, and I think kind of understands like, oh, maybe I do need to work out a little bit more. Then the alarm goes off in the X-Mansion. So she goes to investigate it and, and it's telling her that the the alarm or the possible intruder is in zone four, which is uh, upstairs in Aurora's attic. So she heads up that way, and this is a nice little uh, display of her powers. You know, she can phase through everything and you know, phase through walls. And um, something I think I either forgot or uh, never realized is that she can go, she can ascend by running up air molecules. Once she's in in uh, like this phased, intangible state, yeah, she can walk on air, which I never really uh, remembered. I knew she could do it. I just never knew they explained it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess once she's phased, she's lighter than air, I guess, and she can use the air molecules as, as like, uh, like, steps. Uh, she makes it to uh, Storm's attic, which is apparently is set up like a like a greenhouse, which I like this little touch that Storm has, you know, has plants, and, and she has, like, a, a hobby out, outside of just being an X-Man. And uh, she finds the the skylight on the this uh, greenhouse is uh, is destroyed, and so it's letting in all the the snow and everything, and the cold wind, and a lot of her plants are not uh, not doing too well with that. There's like this green sludgy goop on the on the floor that she steps in, and then uh, all of a sudden this demon is is just on her. You know, it's just advancing on her, and. Uh, She's able to phase out of the way. She phases through the floor, and it just rips through the floor uh, behind her. And from here, it's it's almost a, a unrelenting pursuit, almost for the rest of the issue. Yeah, she's running through it. She's running like she phases through walls of the X Mansion, and the the creature just barrels through every single barrier uh, behind her. So just really trashing the uh, the X Mansion. Um, she kind of manages to give it the slip a little bit, you know, just get away from it enough. She's going to hide for a minute and then phase through like an adjoining wall to make it to the phone. You know, the room with the phone in, in a mansion. mansion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> um, yeah, her plan is to call, you know, the professor's uh, car phone and then get the X-Men to, to come back to the uh, the mansion and take care of this. But uh, the the monster, like, is is just on her again and manages to swipe at her. Um, even though she's phased, like, metaphysically, she can feel this, this uh, claw that goes, goes through her. It, it makes her right arm go numb. That's another thing I never remembered. I thought she was basically impervious when, um, when she was phased, so... I, and I think so generally, but there's something about this creature, ah. I think, that, that doesn't play with uh, the rules of this uh, dimension, I guess. Magic. Hmm. Right. Uh, so she makes it to the control room for the danger room, and she sets it for uh, the most dangerous like sequence, you know, basically turning off all the child locks and, and setting it for, you know, instant kill mode, basically. <laughs> It, again, it, it bursts through the door for the control room. It's on her. She expected to be able to get it, the creature, into the danger room while she stayed in the booth and, you know, tried to kill it or whatever. Um, but now they're both in the danger room while the settings are all turned off and, and or I guess the, the safety locks are all turned off. So she's trapped in there with it, basically, but... It does manage, the danger room does manage to attack the monster a few times and, and harm it a little bit, but it's just not enough. Um, it, like, rips up a big section of flooring, and like, it's just trashing the danger room. Um, she does manage to kind of get away a little bit, but they're kind of, it's, it's just a lot of uh, attacks and a lot of damage is being done. So after the danger room, they she she tries to make it towards the the hangar for the Blackbird, and she makes it to like they uh, something I didn't realize is that the hangar is like a mile away from the mansion, and so there there's this underground like subway tunnel with a little uh, monorail like car, 
and she's able to get it says like almost halfway of the of the mile stretch and the monster is able to derail the car by like grabbing the i guess the railing that it rides on and kind of snapping it um but she she hoofs it the rest of the way to the uh to the hangar where the blackbird is and um i love this this is one of those uh uh, little uh, exposition boxes about the Blackbird that they probably put in every issue that the the uh, Blackbird is featured in. And it says, uh, The X-Men's modified SR-71 Blackbird, probably the most powerful aircraft on Earth. It's uh, capable of circling the globe without refueling or soaring to the edge of space. So, just explaining what the Blackbird is, uh, you know, that they've probably done a hundred times already. And we'll do a hundred times more. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, she figures out that the, the monster is going to have to come down the, the same path that she took if it wants to, uh, to get after her and she'll be able to position the, the blackbird's thrusters, you know, pointing towards the tunnel where, where the monster is going to be. And I like that she does say as she's, she was heading to the, uh, the hangar when she was on the little, uh, monorail car. Um, she she realized that in the danger room that the fire caused by all the destruction did seem to kind of affect the monster. It didn't kill it, but it, it didn't. It definitely didn't like uh, the fire. So she realized that that's what she needs to to try to stop it is more fire. She says that uh, it, it's too bad I don't have uh, some king size flamethrowers handy. Uh, they use them to fight the monster in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, calling out, you know, alien. So I, I like that they're referencing the the clear inspiration for this issue. So so Kitty Pride is basically the Peter Parker of the MCU, where she just uses movies to deal <laughs> with the, uh, you know, come up with game plans. Right. You know that really old movie, Alien? <laughs> Kids see more movies. <laughs> so at this point, like I said, she makes it to the hangar. She's battered. You know, I think they say that her left knee is damaged. We know that her, her right arm is has gone numb from the attack that she shouldn't have have you know been injured in. But um, she makes it to the Blackbird uh, cockpit, and it's a nice moment of like, does she remember all the uh, the launch sequence that Professor Xavier was uh, teaching her at the at uh, the start of the issue? But Travis, you rascal, you said it wasn't going to come back. <laughs> Well, I had to had to get a surprise in there somehow. <laughs> Surprised I am. <laughs> um, it, right down to the the last second, you know, she she manages to hit the the right sequence, and I like this uh, explanation or description. It says two engines, each rated at twenty thousand kilograms of thrust, flare to life at the touch of a button. They're at full emergency power. Afterburners punching twin pillars of flame from the huge exhausts. And then you see this nice silhouette of the uh, the alien, like getting a full blast of the the thrusters. So uh, it says from behind the blackbird, it's like suddenly finding oneself transported to the gates of hell or plunged into the heart of a star. Hmm. So she she ramps this thing up to to maximum thrust, um, even though it's I think generally the blackbird here in the hangar would use its uses its landing gear to like taxi out to wherever the uh, the runway is um so it's not meant to have like the thrusters blasting in this uh, space but she gives it everything it's got 
she she'd make uh, Scotty proud. <laughs> so she gives it so much power that the landing gear on the Blackbird fails, and it sends the it basically turns the Blackbird into a rocket and sends it uh, hurtling into like uh, one of the walls. Now the the hangar is on fire. You know she manages to suppress a lot of that fire with uh, some emergency foam that uh, the the Blackbird has. She thinks that everything's fine. You know the monster must be must be destroyed. And then a hand, a burning hand, comes out of the flames. Um, says she she has time to scream. <laughs> but then we cut back to uh, the X Men are arriving back at the uh, the mansion. It's a storm and and Colossus and and Professor Xavier. They can they can tell that there's there's something evil about the place. They're not really sure. It seems like the lights are all off. Um, so Colossus goes to investigates and finds uh, Kitty just sitting in the uh, the living room. Uh, I think she might be watching TV or she's sitting by the fire. She's happy to see him. She's in like a you can tell that she's she's taking a shower. Um, she's in uh, a robe and her her hair's up in a towel. And then she's surprised to see her mom and dad. Um, the X Men had gone to the airport to pick up her parents to surprise her surprise her with a visit from uh, from her mom and dad. So yeah, the, the the parents and uh, Professor X are and and Colossus they're like having punch, which is nice and you know very pleasant. Um, Aurora uh, pulls Kitty aside and says, "So I went to my uh, attic and and uh, Kitty's like, oh, uh, I was attacked by a big ugly monster." She says, uh, "You had to see it to believe it. We fought. I got lucky. I won." And uh, she tells uh, Storm that in the process we kind of wrecked the danger room and the uh, the Blackbird and the hangar and a lot of the house. So, basically just casually saying, yeah, I destroyed everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, there's no, like, no, no re- I mean, Aurora has kind of a reaction to that and, and realizes like, well, if you fought this thing that destroyed the house, you know, I, I, I should be proud of you that, that you survived. So, um, but yeah, there. I almost want like a uh, the ending of Home Alone here, where you just hear someone screaming, like, you know, what did you do to my room? Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, and it's it's kind of strange that they're all having punch in in the mansion. I guess they're in the room that didn't get destroyed. Like they don't realize that anything has gone on. I I suppose so. Yeah, uh, Kitty's gonna have some explaining to do tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Or- yeah. Right now they're festive and it's Christmas. So <laughs> right, all's forgiven. Right. Um, yeah, it just kind of it ends on a. It kind of goes through some of the wreckage in I think in the uh, danger room and the hangar, and you see this uh, like burnt. Um, I don't know what you call it when there's like the the remains are kind of burnt into the silhouette of the the creature. You can tell it's uh this burnt I don't know ash on the floor of the the arm that was reaching out for, for Kitty. It says that uh, um, alone on Christmas Eve, Kitty Pride underwent a rite of passage. <laughs> a supreme test of her abilities, her intellect, her courage, her self. She passed. So, and that's where the the uh, the issue ends. So, And that's what Christmas is all about. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's about fighting off a, an alien. Right. <laughs> so... That's the true uh, Christmas story. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So part of what I what we wanted to do here with with talking about these Christmas issues is is talk about like how Christmas is it? And in this case, like it's set at Christmas. Um, 
Christmas Eve. You know, there's uh, mistletoe, but it's not very a very Christmas issue. Um, I mean, there's they're definitely like bringing family together at the end is is certainly a big part of like uh, holiday movies and things like that, and like getting getting you know the family together. Um, I suppose so. On one hand, it, it's got some Christmas element to it, but it really is a story that that would work. At any time, you know, it's just uh, it's it's alien, you know, it's just getting uh, Kitty to run the gauntlet, you know, and and survive the night at the uh, the X mansion. So, it, it, like you said, it it literally could take place any time. It's Christmas was the framing device to get rid of the adults. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're think we're to think they're going out to a Christmas party. Let's just say, but really, that's what I assumed. Yeah, yeah. Maybe doing some last minute. Christmas Eve, like gift shopping, you know, I know that's. Well, that would be all the men. Oh, right. Aurora Storm would have already had hers done, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, if this had come out after Home Alone, I would have said this is definitely more of a Christmas issue because, mm-hmm. you, you know, the clear, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's aliens, but it's the fact that the, the teenager uh, is left home alone to deal with an issue. Yeah. And then I'll be like, well, that's, you know, that's definitely, you know, she's setting traps in the danger room. I'll be like, oh, they're, they're, they're definitely doing Home Alone. But unfortunately, <laughs> Home Alone doesn't come out for like another 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is definitely not inspired by that. So, again, the Christmas is just the framing device, I think, for getting rid of the parents and then wrapping it all up at the end. Well, not the parents, yeah. but the adults. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what our, our rating scale would be. Let's uh, um, let's say if it, let's let's do uh, let's do one out of five. One out of five. Um, I would give this a two on the how Christmas is it. Uh, agreed. That's exactly what I was going to say. A two. Yeah. Because it's not. It, it's got enough Christmas stuff in it to to count for a Christmas episode. <laughs> yeah. But not <laughs> enough to to be like wow I I felt I feel the the magic of the season from reading this <laughs> <Right>. issue. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was a fun issue to read as a standalone X Men story. Um, I, I do. I, I'd kind of be interested to read um, to continue from here because I'm curious. You know, is is the X Mansion and and the you know the Danger Room and all that stuff? Is it out of commission for a couple issues? Do they have to like, you know, because sometimes they're they're pretty good with continuity and saying you know, yeah, the the Danger Room still needs to be re- uh, repaired from that incident that that Kitty had to deal with. You know. See, see issue 143, you know. Right. Or or the, 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 the my guess is the more likely case is um, the danger room is fine, and then they'll throw a line in there going, well, we finally got it up and running since from, you know, and then it says see last issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I had fun with this issue. Um, I haven't read a ton of uh, comics in this era of X-Men, although I do own the, the previous um, two issues, the Days of Future Past. Excellent. Like two-parter. Years back, I had bought the black and white essentials of the, uh, okay. you know, starting at Giant Size X-Men number one and then going forward. Uh, definitely, definitely it was a fun read, but you, lo- I think you lose something when it's not in color. Um, mm, yeah. But it yeah. was, it was a, it was a cheap way to get these issues read lo- long before the Marvel Unlimited app. Right. So I am, you know, I'm actually starting at the very beginning of Un- mm-hmm. Uncanny X-Men in the 60s, and I'm looking forward to getting back to this era and rereading them in full living color. <laughs> <laughs> but there's definitely some good stuff from this era. Yeah. So that's X-Men uh, number 143. 
Excellent. Well, thank you. That was a lovely gift. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And uh, not to be outdone, I you know I <laughs> I can't sit here and and, and not get you know, receive a gift and not give a gift. So Travis, I got something a little something for you. What? Yeah, I know. I try to keep it a secret, but um, I I know how much you love the the Spider Man. So mm. I uh, I went ahead and found a, a Christmas issue featuring. The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, albeit it is not in the Amazing Spider-Man comic series. It is actually from Marvel Team Up number one uh, back oh. in the 70s. And if you look at the cover, you will have no idea that this is a Christmas issue. <laughs> so, yeah, um, Travis, Marvel Team Up number one, and it's featuring Spider-Man and the Human Torch. And, of course, this is Marvel Team Up from March of 1972. Wait, what's up with uh, Christmas issues coming out in March? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I didn't make that connection actually. So you're right. They must, I guess, I guess they should have started work on this in like October, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, with the X-Men one, it makes sense. Cause they were like in the middle of the Phoenix stuff and Gene and, and the days of future past. But even that's an issue that could have waited like that's a two-parter that could have waited you know yeah whatever. now this and this too is a um you know it, it's launching a new title basically yeah uh, and, and of course it, it you would think then it would launch at the beginning of the year maybe <laughs> <laughs> and now and now is you know and, and as i noted it's featuring spider-man and the human torch and and, and quotes i've said not that human torch, the one we've been talking about, <laughs> just so you're clear, <laughs> yeah. is the Johnny Storm human torch. <laughs> what better way to spend Christmas with your podcasting buddy is talking about two superhero buddies palling around at Christmas time, right? Yeah, they're they're the uh, quintessential superhero like best friends. Right, exactly. So um, r- this was written by Roy Thomas, art by Ross Andrew, inker was Mike Esposito. And Art Simic, Simic, Artie Simic. Yeah, there you go. He was the letterer, and of course, the editor at the time was Stan Lee. So you know, we got a, a beautiful cover. Uh, the top half is all in black, where it, you know it says Marvel Team Up, and then it's Spider Man in Spider Man's font, and then the Human Torch is written kind of like in flame, and I kind of like mm-hmm. that. And you got Spider Man on the left swinging in. Torch fly, you know, flame on, flying in, and then you get the actual, I guess, cover, you know, if you will. Yeah. And it's, well, they say it's the Sandman. They say, and now the Sandman, but there's some weird looking guy in green gear, smashing a a water tower and <laughs> dousing, uh, torch, and Spidey's, you know, getting swept away from the from the power of the water. And it says an all all new two of Marvel's mightiest in one mind staggering mag. I really like this cover, and I like this, uh, I guess, format that the Marvel team up issues have. Like like you said, the kind of the the header up there in black. And if, I could be mistaken, but I think that Human Torch lettering is from the the thirty nine forties like era Human Torch. I would believe it. I think so. And I like that they have they have the the box with the I guess the cover image just just in like a panel. Right. Yeah. And and you know, a little behind the scenes is one of the things that I collected when I first got into it was Marvel Tales. Okay. Majority of Marvel Tales were actually reprints of Marvel team-ups. Hmm. Um I didn't know that at the time because <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I got like the first <laughs> appearance of Captain Britain in an Amer- in an American mm-hmm. magazine." No, it's a reprint. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. 
But it, it opens with a really cool splash page, and it really has nothing to do with the actual issue. <laughs> it says, Spidey and the Torch, together. Have yourself a Sandman little Christmas. But they're, like, fighting <laughs> each other on the cover. Yeah, yeah. They were always fighting each other. Yeah, well, you know, they're, like, they're like frenemies, but, um, but not, because they're buddies. Uh, they, they're just, um, they remind me of, like, well, you know, like my Marine Corps buddies where we just talk a lot of garbage to each other, and, but we, we still love each other. And it says, a sprig of marvelous mistletoe from, and then it says, you know, all the, all the names I've already butchered. So, um, and then, you know, we, we, then we get into the story, and it begins with a classic Christmas tale. Tis the day before Christmas and all along the sand, not a creature is stirring, save the polar bear clan. You, no. you, you know that one, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a classic. So, um, and of course, uh, Peter Parker sent on assignment um, to get some pictures on Christmas Eve for the Christmas Eve edition of the Bugle, that is, uh, of the polar bear plunge, which is, I don't know if anybody's ever aware of that, but it's a bunch of crazy people who (laughs) get in their bathing suits in in the middle of winter and go (laughs) swimming in the water. (laughs) Yep. And it's, uh, it's usually done to raise money for charity. And apparently in Canada, though, they usually do it on uh, on New Year's Day to celebrate the new year. So I thought that right. was interesting. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, so so from there, one of the plungers uh, feels what they think is a snake or a tentacle. And it turns out to be a tentacle made of sand. <laughs> the tentacle turns into something more sinister, if you will. But not Mr. Sinister, because that would have been awesome. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the mortal enemy of one Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> the Sandman. He gets ev- he gets everywhere. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, we hate him. <laughs> so uh, the woman screams as she recognizes the Sandman and, and uh, realizes that he just rubbed his tentacles all over her. <laughs> so not really off to a very good Christmassy. Is yeah. She? <laughs> he goes, "That's my name, sister. Don't wear it out." Very. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm shaking now. You know, I'm and then he said, "You know, I'm rubber, you're glue." <laughs> yeah. No, so the remaining uh, plungers, they bolt in fear. Uh, one guy even says he has a dentist appointment in the Bronx he forgot about on Christmas Eve. So, <laughs> you know, he's not scared. He's just got something to do. Yeah, yeah. He just got, yeah, he's busy. <laughs> right. right. Meanwhile, he's like leaving women and children behind. But, you know, he's like the George <laughs> Costanza of the group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Peter Parker says he remembers the Sandman, uh, but he, he says he doesn't really, you know, know much about him, which, you know, I found odd, but. I don't know if there's more of an explanation as we go on, so I'll save it. But I, I said maybe it's because he's not in his classic striped T-shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> that he yeah. does. Because, all right, I mean, to, to, you got to see what this guy's wearing. I mean, it's... <laughs> <oof. laughs> this era of Sandman never really made sense. There, You know what? There actually is an in-comic reason why he's dressed this way, I think. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to it, but it's he's got his classic corn rolls that you can kind of tell. Um, everybody, all the Spidey villains had cornrows back then, I guess. I don't know. But he's wearing like this, it's almost, it's armor. It's like green armor. It's light, it's dark green and light green armor put together with a belt. And he's got, he's got a mask on, but it like in the center between his, like where his nose would be, it it stretches over his head. Kind of like, uh, isn't that what Bane wears in Dark Knight Rises? His helmet mask kind of does the same thing. Yeah, kind of, except it's only just over the eyes, like his mouth is... Yeah, is, is, yeah, oh, but, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, but you're right, thank you. Has that center, center like, mohawk, basically, yeah. you know, that goes over his head that, you know, he has hair here, which would be really weird, you know, in yeah. real life. 
Right. And for some reason, he's asking about the detonator. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, so the cops jump into action, and they're going to arrest this guy. Uh, but then they, they pass through. They 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 jump they di- they they dive to ta- tackle him basically and they pass right through him he's like oh he's like a human sandcastle and uh you know and even um Spider Man knows he's like they're lucky because if he had gone solid they would have broke their necks yeah. so you know same as not not so horrible but we're not even sure why he's there terrorizing the polar bear plunge um <laughs> so Peter uses uh, this to dis- this distraction to sneak away and change it into his costume which he knows was only- he was only wearing basically his long johns he said he was- yeah. So I, you know, I always thought Spider Man always wore his costume underneath, and he's like, "Ah, oh, good thing I have an eye because it just stay warm." <laughs> yeah. So, so he jumps into action and and uh, he kicks Samman in the face, and uh, Samman's like, "Spider Man," and he's like, "No, not Spider Man, Spider Man." <laughs> he goes, "Really sloppy of you, Samman. Really sloppy." <laughs> Naturally, a fight ensues, and he's like, oh, I got nothing to say to you, creep, except that uh, you're way down on my list of people I dig spending Christmas with. <laughs> and, so, and that's, you know, of course, Spidey's saying that to Sandman, and Sandman's like, well, what? You know, and he, he, it surprises him, I think, and he's like, well, he's like, I don't have time for you, Spider-Man, so he... he <laughs> You know, Spider-Man knows it. Sandman is just too dangerous to let loose. And he's got a hot date tonight with uh, one Gwendolyn Stacy. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's quite a way to spend Christmas Eve. So uh, Spidey notes that you know, she's much cuter than old Sandy. And uh, <laughs> I'll have to he's agree. He's not wrong. With, yeah, I was, yeah, I'll definitely have to agree with him there. It's the headband. It's, you know, yeah. maybe, if, if, maybe if Sandman's mask was more like a headband, we'd, we'd be talking a different story. But That's right. <laughs> so he, he's... Uh, He's like, well, he's got a few hours, but uh, but he's like, Sandman isn't really my enemy. And I'm, and I'm like, this is now like the second instance of like Sam, uh, Spider-Man kind of like not, you know, he's, he's like, I only tackled him once like a long time ago. And I'm like, yeah, I was unfamiliar with this era of, of I guess, Sandman. I've always known him as a Spider-Man villain and then slash right. Spider-Man ally. Even for a while when I was reading, he was an Avenger or at least a reservist. Mm. Yeah. Before going back to crime. Um but he, he basically says it's somebody else's problem. <laughs> and that doesn't seem very Spidey-like, but okay. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I think he even said, tell me again how this is my problem. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or that's what it feels like. But um, he said, well, there's somebody who actually knows a thing or two about Sandman, and that's the Fantastic Four. And and what I learned was at the time, he was more of a Sandman. I mean, Sandman was more of a Fantastic Four villain than he was. yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that is so bizarre to me." <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, and that's that. Uh, you might already be planning to talk about it, but that's that explains where why he looks the way he does with the little suit that he's wearing. So. Yeah, there is a, a reference as to maybe why okay. he's there, and and it's it's coming. Um, so yeah, so he he goes to the Fantastic Four headquarters and nearly gets a fire ring to the face um, for his troubles. And it's a one Johnny Storm Human Torch messing around. He didn't see Spidey though, so he he basically apologizes, <laughs> and Spidey is shocked that Torch is being so civil to him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Well, it is Christmas Eve after all, and Johnny's alone. He he has girl problems. Uh, we don't really get too much into it here, but." Oh, I, well, actually, he does. He 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 basically was recently dumped by Crystal, and oh. he did not feel like being around anyone for Christmas, so he is home alone. <laughs> no wacky aliens <laughs> or wet bandits uh, are around, though, just the Sandman and a Spider-Man. He made his girlfriend disappear. <laughs> yeah, I think it was being callous and uncaring. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's one way to get him gone. Um, <laughs> they, so basically, uh, Johnny finds out that Salmon is is uh, on the loose, and he questions Spider-Man why he came to him in the first place. And he's like, whoa, he's not my responsibility. I mean, literally <laughs> says, not my responsibility. I thought with great power Jeez. comes great responsibility. Yeah. So <laughs> I've, I'm not really feeling the, uh, the, the, the Spidey... Um, uh, ethics right now. <laughs> it's like they have, they feel like they have jurisdiction over uh, villains. Yeah, yeah. Well, just pretend that this is the um, acts of vengeance. You know, as these guys are debating uh, superhero jurisdiction, <laughs> what Johnny to- what Johnny Storm? What I was Johnny Torch. Jo- Johnny Storm is wearing is just. I mean, man, the seventies. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> I, all right. <laughs> I was gonna say like, why are we not talking about what Johnny Storm? Is oh my wearing? god. Yeah, it's. It's far out, man. Uh, let's just put yeah. it like that. It's it, it was the 70s. I know. Drugs are bad, kids. Do not. You'll end up looking like Johnny Storm. Uh, he <laughs> is wearing a light green, which I don't know what's up with light green in this damn uh, mm-hmm. issue. Light green and dark green. Light green shirt with like dark green olives all over it. I mean, I'm guessing they're olives. <laughs> I don't I don't know. They're like circle, dark green circles. Yeah, yeah they, yeah. He's wearing blue jeans. And over his shirt, though, he's got a purple vest and a blue, thick, short tie. <laughs> is it, Yeah, is it a tie or is it like an ascot? Well, Yo, yeah, no, it, it is a tie, yeah. It's it's bad. And he's alone. I mean, this is how yeah. he, this is his knock-around clothes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the, the, the fashion in this issue is, is, is something to be, uh, you can only just, you have to witness it for yourself, folks. <laughs> Um, Spider-Man makes a joke about, you know, Sandman being anywhere from Jersey to Java, which actually triggers a memory by the torch of seeing Sandman near the GW bridge and not the GW bridge from, uh, shield, the actual George Washington <laughs> bridge. <laughs> and he said he was heading towards New Jersey and, uh, Spidey also saw him near that bridge before. So to the fantastic car. No, 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 no. Turbines of speed. And they are, um. They're in the older version of it. They, the new version, Reed and, and the rest of the family have. So um, to get a little Christmas flavor, they fly over Rockefeller Center. It's all decorated with the tree, and you, you know you see the, the the ice rink and all that good stuff. But mm-hmm. Spider um, Johnny warns Spidey, "Don't think about wishing me a Merry Christmas because I'm he's scrooging it up today. You know he just <laughs> doesn't want a part of it." So. You know, the hunt continues. They make it to the GW Bridge, but they don't see Sandman anywhere. But they decide to go over towards New Jersey because that's where they believe his base was there previously. Or maybe he had a hideout there. They're not They're not sure. But they see a mugging. And they said his, it's, Spidey's like so so tired of getting falsely accused uh, or accused <laughs> of a false arrest that he doesn't want to leap into action when he sees it. Oh, my it. God. So, so Torch gives him a little uh, flare up into the sky so he can see. And he's like, I... <laughs> I love you too, Webwit. <laughs> like, like I love their little banter back and forth. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so Spidey he does see he goes to the bottom of the Fantastic Car and he's like upside down under it, and and Johnny lowers it so we can see, uh, so we can see what's going on, and and of course it's a mugging. So, a few quips and a few uh, web thwips later, um, <laughs> they web up the assailants, and and the muggers ask Spidey to give him a break. Uh, he's <laughs> like, come on, give us a break, and he's like, and. Uh, He's like, we didn't even hurt the broad. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, they are criminals. I mean, come on. And yeah. it's the 70s. <laughs> but um, Spidey says, all right, fine. I'll give peace. And he goes, yeah, well, actually, he's <laughs> not to give peace a chance. He jokes that 
Well, you guys deserve a peace prize, you know, because you didn't mm-hmm. hurt the woman while you were mugging her. <laughs> but he's like, you know what? Let's I'll let the lady decide, and she decides that they didn't actually get away with anything. She didn't actually get hurt, and it is Christmas Eve, so she's going to give them a break, and they're not going to have them arrested. But she's like, they do deserve a little bit of punishment for what they did. So she goes, maybe if they could be incapacitated for for a few hours, so Spidey Jeez. webs them up to the wall. <laughs> If if these crooks go and kill her uncle later, then it's all it's just a it's just a vicious vicious cycle. I know, right? <laughs> exactly. So, but they make sure that they say thank you to the nice lady, Clyde. Yeah, thanks. And he's like, think nothing of it, brother, and Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's what the you know, the the victim says. She's like, think nothing of it, Merry Christmas. So. Johnny and Spidey decide to fly off in their uh, in their flying bathtub, as the woman puts it. She's like, "You too, web web weaver." I like that they always uh, refer to the fantastic car as a bathtub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's pretty. The good. original one uh, <laughs> does look like a bathtub. Oh, it's it's the silliest thing, but uh, is you know. So, anyways, uh, you know, she basically wishes them a merry Christmas as they fly off. So there, so that's that. And then Johnny's sitting there going, "Man, I wish I wore my." Fantastic Four threads. Me too, because yeah. what he's wearing is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not good. No. But but they're no closer to finding Spidey. They they actually uh, see a truck just careening out of control. It's 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 covered in ice. It can't break. It's a uh, it's like a you know, delivery truck. You know, a torch flames on very quickly. This is this is a job for him. So he he gets down there and he melts the ice in front of the truck so he gets enough um, traction to be able to break and avoid crashing. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have a discussion about whose responsibility this is. And, like maybe it's it's not an emergency. Maybe it's trying to get somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then you know, 50 people die in a fiery mm-hmm. crash. But well, really, it's not the people that he wanted to save. It's that sweet Corvette. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks, fella, and Merry Christmas. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. He cuts him off. He doesn't like Christmas stuff. Again, bah humbug. <laughs> uh, he's the Grinch. Uh, you know, as they continue their search. Uh, they see a Christmas tree lot, and again, Johnny is just grinching it up. He doesn't want to hear anything about his Merry Christmas crud. It starts snowing, and they're like, you know what? That's it. We're calling this off. Nobody wants to deal with snow on Christmas in New York. Come on. But um, just then they spot uh, Sam at. And, and and really, Spidey at this point is getting just sick of, of Johnny's bah hub. You know, his bah hub. Uh, he even says it, bah hum. I don't know. He's tired of him being a Scrooge. <laughs> I can't yeah. speak. Yeah. Um, I can write it more than I can say it. Um, well, well, they, they wanted to call it off, basically. But yeah. but because they've put all this time in searching for him, they decided not to. But, um, you know, and Spidey did think to himself, you know, you know, even though he's sick of what Johnny's going doing and going through, he really can't blame him for the Scrooge routine, as he put it, because... <laughs> You know, he'd be crying, uh, you know, humbug as well if he ever lost Gwen. Mm. It's a good thing nothing bad ever happens to her. That's right. Yeah. They're still together to this day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, because they see, you know, Sandman, a fight ensues, all three of them. Um, And and Torch burns a sign off the top of a building, comes crashing down a Sandman. But he's got these weird buttons, and now and that's where this costume comes from. He said the wizard rigged up these buttons for him, and they they can they basically augment his power. And that makes more sense though why he's dressed like that. But also, I right. guess the wizard being a Fantastic Four villain, I just it's just so weird to me that he, he just <laughs> I do not think of him as a Fantastic Four villain. Yeah, 
No, they were, uh, it was the wizard and the trapster mm-hmm. and Sandman and uh, Medusa joined up. Okay. So, and they were the frightful four. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, that's, so for a, a long time, like, uh, Sandman was a Fantastic Four villain. I, I, I guess I, I, I may have known that at some point that he was part of the Frightful Four. It just does not make sense to me. Like, I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> yeah. And Sandman has joined uh, or shifted allegiances so many times. He, Like you mentioned, he's been an Avenger. He's been a good guy. He's been a bad guy. He's been a Spider-Man villain. You know, yeah. it, it really just depends. He, he's gone. He's, he's flipped sides so many times. And... Well, uh, maybe maybe we'll see maybe the origin of some of that as 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 this issue goes on and why maybe he's not so bad of a guy. Basically, these these buttons kind of augment his powers, and and uh, one button turns him into basically to a living sandstorm, and he's and it douses the flames uh, of torch, and it, and he's starting to black out because of lack of oxygen. Spidey catches him with his webs, and you know they regroup and charge Sandman, who tricks them into crashing into a brick wall, <laughs> which is not good for anybody. But he basically captures him. And he tosses him in that water tower that is, a, you know, from the from the cover. Yeah. Long story short, there's one rope, and they're tied together. And they Spider-Man figured out there's a way to escape. If he swam lower, it allowed Johnny to get up higher. And it got his face exposed just enough that once it dried a little, he could flame <laughs> onto his face. And one burning loogie later, he spits a fireball, <laughs> <laughs> which is, a, I don't know if I've ever seen torch do that before and he burns the rope and they're they're free not before a, a burn baby burn oh yeah yeah that's right that's right <laughs> you're right about that yeah so spidey theorizes that Sandman didn't actually want to kill them because he basically said keep their uh their chin up basically it's like he just wanted them out of the way and but he gave him a way to escape yeah i mean i guess they're like well he's not all bad <laughs> <laughs> but then they see Sandman. Later, like very quickly later, entering a window, but he's in, he's wearing a purple suit jacket with an orange tie. Again, yeah. 70s man. fashion, man. <laughs> I know. Uh, he So they, they kind of, they, they get up to him and he, and he says like, Sam, you know, whispers to him like, look, hey, let me go and I'll be back in two minutes. <laughs> Basically what happened is once Sam realized it was Christmas Eve, he was heading, heading to his old sick mother's house. He said he always comes to see her on Christmas Eve, no matter what. He said the doctors never told her that he's a crook, and he doesn't want you know the two heroes to ruin that. So he agrees to go quietly if they give him two minutes with her mom. <laughs> and they, they agree. They give him five minutes. And actually, Spidey had a gift for Gwen that he gives to Sandman so they can give it to his mother because he was thinking of his dear sweet Aunt May, <laughs> who this woman reminds him of. So, but, but Spider-Man decides to wait outside just in case, because, you know, he doesn't, they don't trust him. They know he's a criminal and a bad guy and just try to kill him, sort of. <laughs> but <laughs> while, while they're waiting, Torch is inside, but he's just lamenting about how he misses Chris, uh, Crystal. But, and so he, he's thinking about what he's missing, but also he realizes everything that he has, you know, basically his family, <laughs> the Fantastic Four, and he's pretty lucky after all. I, I think it's funny that he, I guess maybe seeing Sandman with his mother, is what made him have this change of heart, but it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. But lost in thought, he he realized it's been a little bit more than five minutes, so they they quickly <laughs> burst into the room, and Sandman's mom is fast asleep holding the new present, which I believe was a brooch. Mm-hmm. And the only sign of Sandman was a few grains of sand in the bathroom sink. That <laughs> rascal, he lied to them. <laughs> I can't believe it. He gave him the old slip. 
Well, Spidey said, oh, well, he gave us a break on, in honor of Christmas Eve. We'll, we'll get him next time. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess he gave him a break. He didn't kill him. He didn't murder yeah. him, but he, he didn't go easy on him <laughs> So they, they decide, let's give Pete a chance, basically, <laughs> and, and, uh, and let bygones be good bygones. He said, yeah, next time. But tonight, and just for tonight, I feel good. As the torch makes a giant flaming sign in the sky, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And Spidey, as he swings off, and that's what it's all about, right? And then it ends with a little editor's tag at the bottom. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. That's, it's, uh, that's, our, that's our Christmas issue. It, it, it ends with letting your enemy have a moment of peace with his mother and, and deciding not to track him down. It ends with two friends having a nice little Christmas moment. And also, you know, Johnny Torch remembering what is what is the reason for the season, more or less, right. you know, that, you know, don't don't think about what you don't have. Think about what you do have. And I do like the last panel where it is peace on earth, goodwill to men. And it's all in in his flaming skywriting that he does. Yeah. And it's the two buddies parting parting nights. And he's like, you know, I, I'm going to be sad and depressed tomorrow about my girlfriend. But for today, I'm yeah, you know, you got me good. And and I, I do like the little editor's tag at the end. It's like. Yep, like yeah. they're, like they're part of the conversation, <laughs> yeah. and that's it. That's the uh, that's the Human Torch and uh, Spider Man, a Marvel team up with no indication of being a Christmas story uh, as yeah. a Christmas story. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought it was a weird way to launch a number one, but I liked it. I kind of like the uh, I, I always like Torch and Spidey together, mm-hmm. especially in yeah. this era. Like they kind of have fun with it whenever they team them up. I think right. I, th- I feel like. You know, as comics matured a little bit more, they they get a little bit more. I mean, they're still buddies, but yeah. it's it's not as like goofy or, or carefree as this kind of issue was. It, it was clearly meant to be a Christmas issue. I think I mean, it's not like in the case of the X Men issue where it was like in a drawer and you know they just throw it out. <laughs> like it's like oh, yeah. it happens. It happens to take place at Christmas. I mean, I think this was meant to be a Christmas issue. I just think it's weird. Like I could have seen this. This particular story, instead of being in Marvel Comics number or Marvel Team Up number one, could have easily been in a Marvel Holiday Special from 1972. Yeah, you know, yeah. like just one of the main right. stories of that. It would have been totally appropriate. It, it's weird that it's the first issue of a Marvel Team Up. Yeah, but again, like you said, a format that is is awesome going forward because it's just here's Spider Man and who's he going to team up with this month? You know, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's typically typically a one to two issue story. You know, I, I do right. think some of them did did go more than one issue, uh, but typically not more than two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and it's just a great format. I definitely enjoyed this um, this this uh, ep- uh, episode, this issue. What about you, Travis? What, what, did, what did you think of it? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, thank you for getting me, you know, something Spider-Man for Christmas. I, I definitely appreciate that. He's my favorite. So, um, and I do like a good uh, torch and Spidey team up um i'm i'm used to them because i've been reading everything in the 60s i'm used to them like they really don't like each other you know the uh peter parker doesn't like johnny storm because he's up upstaged him in public you know as far as like he gets all the girls and you know and then spider-man doesn't like human torch because of you know just their spider-man is is such an antagonistic you know he just is always like on the defensive, I guess, anytime he's around mm. Human Torch. They almost seem like uh, enemies more than uh, friends, but then I know from the modern comics, they're like best friends. So it's interesting to read like here where we're 
a few years outside of the 60s, more antagonistic. And, and these guys are, you know, friendly, but they like to get in the jabs, you know, at each other every now and then. So, uh, but it's fun to, to read them together. Yeah, I, I like how it, it, it's evolved over time. Yeah. Like you said, definitely rivals to more friendly rivals yeah. to mm-hmm. kind of buddies that just like to irk each other to like, hey, we're best friends. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a fun issue. I, I That one wouldn't necessarily have worked like as a, oh, it's in a drawer. You can put it out anytime, just cut out the Christmas elements because it's, it's a very winter centric story just dealing with like the snow, the weather that they're dealing with, the truck that can't stop, the the polar bear plunge stuff, you know, like, so there'd be too much to change, I think, to just release this story at any time. But yeah. Yeah. Like you could, you wouldn't be like, oh, it's Valentine's Day. I got to go visit my sick mother, you know, like (laughs) it's Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of the, the, the Johnny being upset that it's Christmas and (laughs) he's alone. I mean, he could have been upset and being alone anytime, but I, I do think the whole, the whole genesis of, of, it's Christmas. I'm going to let Sandman go. Sandman's not going to try to kill us anymore. Yeah. You know, and us two, you know, friendly rivals are going to have a nice little moment together at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's I, I would definitely if, if if I were to rank this one, I would, I would probably give a four as far as the Christmas because it, it's weaved throughout. It's right. Most of most of it is organic. I mean, yes, you do get the little it's Rockefeller Center. We're flying over a Christmas tree lot. They didn't have to put that in, but it made sense because they're on the search and and that yeah. stuff is out there. So it wasn't it wasn't totally random. Um, definitely, the message was a very Christmas centric like mm-hmm. peace on earth. You know, like sure goodwill towards men and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, what about you? Yeah, I, I think I'd give it more of like a three. Mm-hmm. Um, fair, That's just, a fair assessment. Yeah, it, it's it's totally middle of the road as far as a Christmas sort of story, but I do like how it was. You know, Johnny was had the blues, and then by the end, he realized what it's all about, and that sort of thing. I, I like the that aspect of it. And I like that Sandman slipped away. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a little questionable, like, throughout the story, like, letting those muggers go and, you know, some of that stuff, but... <laughs> right. Like, I get the... I get the, I get the... I get the idea behind it, but it's like, yeah, no, they're just yeah. going to do it again. They're just, <laughs> yeah. it's not like they had to change a heart. <laughs> mm-hmm, it's not like right. they, they, they did, this woman did like made it some sort of Christmas gesture that they were like, you know what? I, I saw the evils of my way and I'm going to change. You're right. You know, and they, they were yeah. moved by the Christmas spirit or something. No, no, <laughs> they're just, they're just annoyed that they're going to be webbed up, but happy they're not yeah. going to go to jail, but they're going to do this again. I mean, there's just no way they're not going to. I mean, this was right. New York City in the 70s. They're going to do it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, if if movies have taught me anything, <laughs> that is our Christmas issues. I am very happy with my present. I hope you're happy with yours. Very, yes. I don't, I mean, I guess I hear some stirring. So if you don't have anything yeah. else, uh, we should probably go go with our families. Like the Human Torch said, it's, it's not what we don't have. It's what we do have. <laughs> so that's the perfect way to wrap it up. And uh, I'm glad we could, you know, squeeze this in, this recording in before... Uh, before your kids woke up and you, you guys are doing all the presents and, and everything. So yeah. Merry Christmas, Travis and happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Brian. And yeah, happy holidays to all of our listeners. And uh, we'll do this again next year.
Come back next time for the continuing journey with Travis and Brian. Until then, join the conversation over at facebook.com slash groups slash Marvel Events Timeline. On Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Events Pod or email the show at marveleventspod at gmail.com. Oh, great. I'm blanking on where they all traded villains. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, what was that storyline? I can't remember. Oh, I know. It's, it's driving me. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll have to edit this out. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's driving me nuts right now. I can't even think of it.